0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, again, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2. And to find that, you'll want to go to the book of Matthew and then take a left, go really slowly through all the minor prophets and you will find it. Uh, we all know what it's like to be in the waiting room. We've all been in in the waiting room waiting to go see the doctor for an exam. We're waiting to hear the news of how a friend or a loved one in surgery is doing. Uh, we've sat there anxiously. We've sat there and wondered, are they okay? Is it going to work out? We've, we, we've waited for the test results. And, and uh, we know what those anxious thoughts feel like. It's not a pleasant feeling. It's not a, a, a really fun place to be. And, and so with that in mind, we started a series last week that we're calling The Waiting Room. And uh, we look to the book of Habakkuk, and we are, are learning how he is experiencing much of the same thing that that you and I experience today, as we question God, as we question His involvement in our life. I mentioned to you my issues and my struggles as a as just a follower of Christ this year, as I've. Watched and, and and saw my my mom get really sick and then pass away this year and and uh, those questions of man it just doesn't seem fair and and uh, man I, I just. I'm, I'm praying that God would do something and and it doesn't seem like he was doing anything and it just kind of felt like he was absent like he wasn't there like he wasn't listening and and some of you maybe have experienced the same thing you are experiencing it now maybe in your past you've experienced it and so uh, we we know that waiting room just God why aren't you stepping in to do something why aren't you fixing this issue why aren't you why aren't, why are you allowing so much evil around us to take place and so the main question that we're wrestling with is, is when God is silent here and evil is loud, what are we to do? How are we to reconcile God's love and that God cares about us when we look around and we're experiencing so much pain or we're experiencing suffering? I mean, you look around in our world, cancer is everywhere. It's evil. Divorce is evil. Abuse is evil. We see mass shootings happening regularly, fires that are out of control, pain, devastation all around us. And it's easy to sit back and to say, God, where are you? And in the midst of our questions, we may not feel like he is answering us, or we may not feel like he is actually doing anything at all. And and that's why we turn to the prophet Habakkuk, because he was experiencing the same turmoil, the same frustrations in his life. He was living in Judah, and Judah was filled with devastation and evil and and, and abuse and greed and, and uh, immorality everywhere. They were also experiencing starvation. And so it was a desperate season in the life of God's people. They had turned away from the book of the law. They have turned away from God's Word, and they were living in their own uh, way worshiping false idols and, and Habakkuk looks around and he says, God, when are you gonna step in and solve these issues and do something about these problems? And he had been praying for so long the the book actually starts out, how long, oh God? How long? Am I going to have to pray this same prayer and you not do anything and you not step in? And and God said, oh, well, I am going to do something. And in fact, I'm about to send the Babylonians to come and destroy Judah. And I can only imagine his response was like, say, what? Are you kidding me? You're going to send this evil nation to come and devastate us And at the close of the first chapter, we read that Habakkuk's response uh, in this setting was to wait on the Lord, that he was going to sit on the watchtower and he was going to wait for God to speak. He was going to wait for God to show up. And and so the question that I want to ask today and begin to answer today is when you feel like you are in the waiting room and when you feel like God is silent, what do you do? How do you respond? What are some things that you and I ought to do in that moment to be able to grow and to learn and to hear from God? Well, he's going to speak directly to that today. And so let's turn our attention to chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower. Just like uh, the wall would surround the city, the watchtower kept a close eye on any invaders, kept a close eye on anyone that was coming. And so Habakkuk says uh, initially that I'm going to stay in this position of waiting and watching for God to show up. He says, and I'm going to look out to see what he is going to say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Verse two, God responds. God speaks to him and answers. And he says, write the vision. We'll continue to look at some of these verses here so you can keep your Bible open, but God finally responds after, uh, we don't know how long it's been, but it's obviously been a long time that he actually hear God uh, speak to him and, and, and answer his cry for help. And so the first thing that we see here is that he, God tells him to look out to see what he will say to him. Habakkuk is actually saying this. He says, "I'm going to look out and I'm going to see what God is going to say." So, if you find yourself in the waiting room today, one of the first things that you need to begin to do is you need to begin to listen for the Lord. You know, we live in a culture and in a day where it seems like our minds are constantly busy and constantly focused on something. You know, it's 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 hard. If you're a teacher, you know that uh, it, it's kind of hard for this younger generation to stay focused more so than in the past. Because there, our attention is always on something, we're watching TV, we're we're on you know uh, our computer, we're online, or we're checking the notifications on our phone. Even while we're watching a game, or even while we're watching TV, we're checking our phone, and we're just constantly um, we're we're constantly being bombarded with messages, and we're our our attention is constantly being focused on various things, and, and that makes it very difficult for us to actually be able to have spiritual ears to be able to actually listen to God. And when you think about your prayer life, much of our prayer life is is just talking. You know, God, I need this. God, I need this. God, please do this. God, why aren't you doing this? How long, God? Please do this, do this, and do that. How often do we say or do we do what Psalm 46 says, which says, be still and know that I am God? How often do we just sit and, and, and are we still listening for the voice of God? I wonder if you've ever fasted from social media, if you've ever fasted from your phone or you've ever fasted from TV for a season. I think in this day and age, more so than ever, as followers of Christ, we have got to unplug. We've got to unplug so that we can begin to hear from God, especially if you would say, man, I am in the waiting room. I am struggling today. Like if you need to hear a word from God, you've got to unplug. You've got to listen for His voice. And where do we hear his voice most clearly? Well, obviously in his word. Obviously the very voice of God has been written down for you and I. So if we want to hear from him, we've got to get in the word of God. We've got to have a hunger for the word of God. We've got to consume the word of God. Let me ask you, what, what's your Bible reading plan look like today? What's it look like? For many of us, we probably say, I, I, I really don't have a plan And listen, I'll I'll tell you this. If you don't have a plan to read the Word of God, you won't do it. You've got to have a plan. And and here's a really simple plan. You ready for this one? I really prayed heavy and hard to give you this plan. Tomorrow, pick up your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew, and start reading. Just read a passage. It doesn't have to be the whole chapter. It doesn't have to be the whole book. Read a passage. It's broken down into paragraphs. Read a paragraph and, and just begin to consume that Word. You know, I think too long we get caught up in this idea that, okay, if I'm going to study the Bible, it's going to be like 10 commentaries set out and I've got to have highlighters and pencils and it's going to take like three hours of my day. And we think, I don't have time for all that. Well, why don't we just read a paragraph? Why don't we listen to it on our phone with the Bible app and and just hear God's Word read to us in our commute to work? Why don't we take advantage of that to be in the Word of God, to consume the Word of God? I want to encourage you to savor the Word of God. Savor it, treasure it, long for it. In it is the very truth and medicine for our soul. It's the Word of God for your life. We've got to hunger after it more than we hunger after food itself. What if you said and made a commitment, I'm not going to eat breakfast until I read the word of God, or I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm not going to eat, period, until I consume something in the word of God. I mean, how awesome would that be to feel that hunger in your belly and to know, oh, wait, before I actually feed my hunger physically, I need to feed my hunger spiritually, and I want to open up the word of God. I want to consume it, and I want to hear God speak to me. This is what Habakkuk says as he's waiting. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to to look out. I'm going to see and wait for what God is going to say to me. The second thing that we see here in verse 2 is that God tells him to write it down, to write it down. If you find yourself in the waiting room today, you need to start writing down what God is teaching you. He says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. Make it plain, why? So that it can be proclaimed and remembered for future generations. He says, make it plain so that he may run who reads it. In other words, those of us that would read the vision and read what God said to Habakkuk today, we would be able to read it as well and it would allow us to run in a deeper faith. I wonder, do you write things down that you are learning about God or learning uh, in general about what God is doing in your life? I think for us, another habit that we've got to begin to do is write it down. My memory is pretty bad. I mean, I barely remember what I did yesterday. And and so for me, when it comes to spiritual things, I've got to write it down so that I can remember what God is doing. I can remember some of the lessons that he's trying to teach me. One of the ways that we try to help our church begin to digest what we're teaching on Sundays is through small groups, and in our small groups, our curriculum is based on the Sunday morning sermons, and we do that because we want to hear the Word preached, we want to take notes, we want to begin to digest it, and then we go to our small groups to really unpack it a little bit further. We ask further questions, we dive into it deeper, we talk about how it applies to our life in in various ways, And, and we are able to talk about our pain in those situations, and so we want to write it down in, on Sunday morning and then begin to discuss it throughout the week in our small groups. And one of the best habits you could do is to go and, and buy a journal and start writing in it. And uh, for so long, when I, was, uh, when I was younger in college, I always kind of thought that that was kind of a girl thing to have a diary and kind of do that. But what I learned is that when I, when I get a man journal, and it's, it's obviously really manly and rugged, and it's, a, it's leather bound and all that cool stuff, and so it feels better. Uh, I feel better about myself. And what I do, though, is I write everything that I'm doing in my, my quiet time. And so I just happen to be reading through the book of Matthew now. And so this morning I was in the latter half of Matthew chapter 10. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm reading that passage and then I'm jotting down what, what it is that God is telling me. And in that particular passage, he talks about how when you come before officials, when you come before people, and, and, and you have to profess why you believe in Jesus, or you have to profess the gospel, uh, the Bible says, hey, remember, it's not you that's going to be speaking. It's, it's actually the Spirit of God speaking through you. And so I just found that moment today like, oh man, I needed that one because I'm getting ready to preach. And and when I preach, I don't want it to be my words. God, I am thankful for your promise. It is your spirit that speaks through your words to your people. And, and 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 so I just wrote down one sentence of what that meant. And then I jotted down bullet points of, of my prayer life and things that are happening in my life, big things, difficult things, and things I'm struggling with, and I'm asking for God's wisdom on. And so I just jot that down. And so I never go into that situation thinking, oh man, this is gonna have to be a three-hour event. I've got to read all this and write down everything that's happening in my life. If I, if I did that, if I said that I'm going to have to write down everything, then I wouldn't do it because I would dread that time. And I'm a bullet point guy. I don't like details. I just want bullet points. And so I, I give kind of the, the outline of what I'm learning, what God's doing, and then my prayer life goes down. And, and now after doing it for several years, I can turn back into these older journals and I can remember when, you know, my marriage was going through a situation and how God answered a prayer or there was a health situation, and there was a situation in the church, and, and I prayed over it. And then, and, and then, oh man, you know what? God answered that prayer. You see, if you don't write it down, then number one, I can't be encouraged by it. I don't, I don't actually see God's fulfillment sometimes in, in the prayer of, of what I was asking. And then secondly, the other thing is, man, those words that I've written down, one day my kids are going to read them. One day um, my grandchildren are going to read those words. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by the, the fact that they're going to see how God ministered to my life and what was happening in my life. And that might be a blessing uh, for them. And, and so he says, so that he may run who reads it. And so I want to encourage you to write it down. Write it down. What is God speaking to you today? Write it down. You know, what, what is God doing in your life? Write it down. I think it helps our faith grow, especially in seasons of waiting room. The third thing that he says here in verse 3 is he says to wait for it. Wait for it. Look at it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. It seems slow. It seems like God's dragging his feet, but he says, wait for it. Wait for it. I think it's important to remember that he says here, circle it in your Bible, that the vision awaits its appointed time. There is an appointed time that God will answer your prayer, not a second sooner. But in that moment, in his timing, there is an appointed time where he will answer, he will speak, he will respond. He says, it hastens, wait for it, and he says, it will not lie. You see, what God speaks to you is truth. What we read about the words of God, the very character and nature of God is truth. So when he does speak to us through his word, we can, we can rest on the assurance that it is in fact true. Now, maybe you guys are better than me. I'm sure that you are, but I'm just not a patient person. I, I don't do well when I have to wait for things. And, and so maybe guys in the room can kind of feel me on this, but like you ever go shopping with your wife and she's like looking for clothes or shoes and you're like waiting in the mall or waiting wherever for that. Uh, any guys in the room that would just say, that's like the seventh circle of hell for me. I hate waiting on her. Man, I hate that. I'm just gonna be honest with you today. You you get what that feels like. There's some kids in the room, like after church, your parents are gonna linger and they're gonna talk to their friends for a while. And you're just gonna be like, mom, when are we gonna go home? Right, you don't wanna wait on mom and dad to talk. I, I get that. I, I'm sure, you know, you guys are better than me at this, but when you're in a hurry to get to a meeting and then there's a traffic jam, I'm sure you don't get frustrated. <laughs> like, yeah, that doesn't bother you, does it? I mean, if there's like a car accident, like that initial check in our spirit is like, okay, 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 maybe somebody's hurt. I don't want to get all upset about this. And so you kind of eke through the traffic and then you get up there and you realize that nobody's hurt. And it was just a stupid fender bender. And you're like, come on, man, get it together. Right? You guys not do that? I'd, I'd, I'd do that. i I don't like to wait. It's, it's hard for me. I don't, I'm not a patient man uh, in, in, in so many venues. How about this? When you're hungry and uh, you're waiting on food, you're, you're about to go to the restaurant, you're about to go home, and you're going to wait for some food. How many of you get a little irritated and you become a jerk when you're hungry, right? Anybody want to admit to that? You know, a lot of kids are like, that's me. We call that hangry in my house. <laughs> and so a lot of people suffer from hangriness. And, and listen, we don't like to wait. We want it Now. We want it faster than now. And I already said what I wanted, so why haven't you already responded? (laughs) You know, we we want it quickly. We want it fast. We want it now. And God says the deeper joys of life will take time. Wait for it. Wait for it. It feels like God is dragging His feet, but you've got to wait for it. We're told to wait and listen and write down what we're learning And as we are waiting, if we are seeking the Lord in that waiting room, if we seek Him, then what begins to happen is that God begins to transform our character in the waiting room. All those rough edges that are in our life, God begins to smooth out as we wait patiently on Him to speak to us. When you read the Bible, I mean, you see this over and over again. Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promised son that God said that he was going to have. Moses had to wait 40 years in the desert waiting on God to respond to him. Over and over again, Elijah suffered from depression. He wanted to kill himself. and, And so he was waiting for a season. Joseph was in prison for several years waiting on God to vindicate him the Apostle Paul was waiting on God to answer a prayer. He had some kind of physical health issue. We don't know what it was, but, but he was praying that God would heal him. And then God tells him in 2 Corinthians 12, no, I'm not gonna heal you. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God allowed that illness to come into Paul's life to keep him humble and so that his strength would fill him in his humility, and in his weakness so that other people would see God's power in his life. Despite this physical illness, he still serves. He still does this. It must be the power of God in his life. Perhaps God will do that or is doing that in your life. He's gonna gonna smooth out the rough edges in your life. Another thing that happens in the waiting room is that we build an intimacy and a, a further dependence upon the Lord. Think about this for a moment. Those Those friends, those really close friends that stuck by you in a season of your life where you were really going through a season of of, of trial, those friends that stuck with you in the trenches during the heat of the battle, guess what happens to you and that friend? Well, you get much closer. You remember The the encouraging words they said. You remember how they lifted your spirits. You remember how they were there. They might not have said a word, but they were there. And, and, And as a result, it deepens your relationship with them now. Now listen, when we go through the waiting room, the Lord is not asking you to wait alone. We said last week, God is with us. He is right there in our midst. And so he is, he's not only with us, but he's guiding us. And the scripture says that he sticks closer to us than a brother. We always focus on the destination where we want to go. And Jesus is concerned about the journey. He wants you to grow in a deeper relationship with Him, and He is sticking with you in this season. He's not asking you to wait alone. He is asking you to wait with Him. And listen, here's the great news. God is working while you wait. You look around, doesn't feel like it, but here's the reality. God is working. Right now, in every situation that you find yourself in, God is working. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just say, God's working. Man, God is working. Tell him, elbow him and say, hey, you can can smile today because God is up to something. We may not know what it is, but it's in that uncomfortable waiting room that God uses as a tool to set us free. God is at work today. He is at work in your life. No mountain is too tall that he can't move. No problem is so big that he cannot solve. And there's no sorrow so deep that he cannot soothe. God is at work. Let's praise God today for working in our life. And he's working. Some of you needed that. You needed that. Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that he's not. It's easy to forget that he's, he doesn't care. No, he cares. He is working in your life. And so what's he tell us in the following verses? He says "The wait for it. And then he says in verse four, behold, his soul is puffed up. So here's person number one. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But here's the second person. The righteous shall live by his faith. So if you're taking notes, number four. You've got to live by faith. you got to wait. And while you're waiting, you live by faith. He says this first person is the person that is puffed up. This person believes in his own righteousness. This person is conceited and confident only in himself. He's, this guy's really unaware of how limited he really is. And so he doesn't think he needs to submit to God. He doesn't think that he even needs God. He doesn't think that God can solve any of his problems Habakkuk, God says to Habakkuk, this guy thinks he's got it under control. But then there's the second person, and the second person walks by faith. Now, what is faith anyway? Well, the Bible explains it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is this idea that I have an assurance of things that I'm hoping for. It's a conviction of something that I can't even see, but I have faith in it, so therefore I live in it and I put it into exercise. So let me illustrate it like this. Some, some of you, all of you got up today, you got in your car and you drove to church or you drove with someone to church and, and uh, I doubt anyone in the room, when you got into your car, you, you know, you said, you know what, let me just check something real quick. And you, you kind of got out on the, the the driveway and you kind of crawled up under the car and and you kind of traced the, you know, the, the brake lines and, and and you made sure there was fluid and nothing was leaking. And then you, then you went to the brake pads and you make sure that they were good and, and uh, everything was checking out and you didn't check the, you know all the all the intricacies of your brake system you didn't you didn't back out of your driveway kind of tapping on the brakes just to make sure they're still there you didn't do that you got in your car and you drove to church why because you have an assurance an assurance of what something that you hope something that you can't see i can honestly say i don't even know what a brake pad looks like <laughs> never changed them don't know how to change them go always go to the man Right? I don't know where the line is. Wouldn't know where to even look for the line. I get in my car and I drive. And you know what? My brakes have, have never failed me yet. And so that's what faith looks like. Faith is the assurance of something that we hope for. We hope that they're going to work. And we can't see them, but we have a conviction that they're going to work. And ultimately, we know they are going to work, and we trust that they will work because we have put our faith into motion by driving the car, and they have never failed us yet. Now, there's one guy in here that's been in an accident who this illustration is out of the, you know, blown out of the world because his brakes failed and he almost died. But other than that guy, I hope you're tracking with me. We just get in the car. We just drive because we have faith in our Breaks. Now, if you're going to walk with the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to walk by faith, which means that you've got, a num- you, you've got to acknowledge a number of things that you're not going to fully be able to see. You're not going to fully be able to understand. However, you will walk with Him. You'll get in the car, you'll drive every time without worry without checking underneath the hood, without getting underneath the car, because you have assurance in things hoped for and a conviction that even though you cannot see God, even though you do not know His plan, you are convinced that He is good, He is in control, He is love, and He's gonna work all things out for your good and His glory. We're gonna walk by faith. John Piper says, God doesn't drive an ambulance. What he means by that is in the carnage of life, in the pain and suffering of life, God isn't showing up late in the ambulance to try to fix and heal everybody. No, God was there before it started. God is there in the midst of the trial. He doesn't show up after it happens. He is always there. He sees everything. And the promises in the Bible are are numerous. And one of the promises that I cling to is when the scripture says that He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. In other words, I'm never alone, even when it feels like I'm alone. I'm never alone because He is with me. The book of Hebrews describes how Jesus suffered everything that you and I suffered, and yet He was without sin. He knows what it's like to feel betrayed and alone and to be nervous and to be hurting. And and through all of that, He never sinned. And, and, And so the Scripture says in Hebrews that that's why the Lord is empathetic to our pain. He's empathetic to our suffering. He's been there. He's felt it. He knows it. He knows what it's like. And so when we go through that suffering and pain, He's empathetic. And the Scripture says that He prays for us. He intercedes for us on, on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. He is with you, and He is praying for you, and He is empathetic towards your situation. So how do you learn to trust in your brakes? Well, you have to exercise your faith by getting in the car and driving. And they've never given out, and hopefully they never will. And as you drive, your faith continues to grow, and your, your, your faith in, continues to expand So which person are you? Are you person number one, who is confident in their own rightness? Confident in what you think God should be doing? Confident in what you think is right? Or are you person, you know, number two, which is I walk by faith. Even when I can't see, even when I don't understand, my decision, my choice is that I'm going to trust in a loving God. So where's your hope today? Where's your hope? What are you trusting in? You can answer that question by asking another question. And the other question is, are you actually pursuing Jesus today? Are you pursuing Him? Are you seeking to connect to the Lord today? Are you trying to grow in your faith? Are you seeking after Him? If the answer is no, then you're probably what some people call a Christian atheist. A Christian atheist is someone who says they have faith in in God, but they live as if He doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, I have faith. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer but you live your life as if God does not exist because you don't exercise your faith. You don't actually exercise it. You don't practice your faith. You don't do anything with it. It's like saying, I've got all this food, but I'm not going to eat. Well, if you don't eat all that food, if you don't eat anything, you're going to starve to death eventually. The same is true with our faith. We have to actually embrace it. We have to exercise it. We have to live it and breathe it. We've got to pursue the Lord in every situation of our life. Now, this verse in in, verse four, the righteous shall live by faith, is a transformative verse. It was the key verse for the whole Protestant Reformation. You've heard of Martin Luther in the 1500s. We protested the Catholic Church. We broke away from the Catholic Church. Praise God. We are here today worshiping as Protestants because of men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and many, many, many others. And as a result of, of the Reformation, what, what they are experiencing is this verse. This was a key verse for Martin Luther. The righteous shall live by faith. The Catholic Church is teaching you have gotta do this and do this and do this in order to get you know entrance into heaven to be able to make God happy. And he's like, No, 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 that's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is the righteous shall live by faith. And that was a key text. And Paul actually quotes it in Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, this is the foundation for the gospel. The righteous are those who trust in God's righteousness and not their own righteousness. So that's it right there. I mean, when we're in the waiting room, this is what we've got to look to. This is what grows us. God is where we are. He has not let us down. Why does it feel like evil is winning? Why do we get the divorce? Why did abuse happen? Why didn't God heal my mom? You may not get those questions answered, but the decision I choose to make is the righteous live by faith. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust in God's righteousness. Not in what I think is right. Not in what I think is fair. I have assurance of things that are hoped for. I have a conviction of things that I cannot see. And I can't see his hand moving, but I trust that it is. In fact, I know that it is. I just can't see it yet. I will, but I can't see it right now. I know he's working. Some of you might say, man, how in the world could you live by faith when you see the people that hurt you tend to, you know, Look like they're having a great time. The people that hurt you are having all these blessings or all these great things are happening. And, and how can you look at that and, and, and how can you still walk by faith? Don't you want to get them back? Don't you want to get revenge? Don't you want them to feel pain? And sure, we all wrestle with that when people hurt us. The next passage of Scripture, verses 6 through 19, essentially, this is how God addresses that issue that that Habakkuk kind of raises. He's like, you're sending the Babylonians to kill us? How how could you send this evil generation or this evil nation to do this? And God says, look, don't worry about them. I'm going to handle them. I'm going to deal with their sin. Here's what he says in verses 6 through 8. He says, the Babylonians... They're going to be plundered by those who had been plundered. And verses 9 through 11, he says, their security will become unsecure. And verses 12 through 14, it says, their civilization will be replaced with devastation. 15 to 17, their glory will be turned to shame. And 18 to 19, their idols are going to be exposed as worthless in light of the Lord, who is the one true God. In other words, God says, I'm going to deal with their sin, Habakkuk. Don't worry about them. Can I just tell you, some of you guys who have been hurt and your bitterness and your anger towards that person that hurt you has grown, and the only person that it hurts, and you know this to be true, is you. You know that that bitterness creates anger inside of you. It consumes your thoughts. It consumes your attitude. It leads you to have a bad attitude most of the time. Oftentimes, you daydream about getting that person back. You daydream about them failing and how happy you think that'll make you. Listen, God's going to take care of them. You don't have to worry about getting revenge. God's going to deal with their issue. Don't let them continue to steal your joy. Don't let them continue to to cause you to be upset today because of how they hurt you in the past. God will take care of them, right? And in verse 20, I think one of the most remarkable recognitions is, is shared. Look at it. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, the Lord is on the throne. Hey, listen, if you're in the waiting room and you've forgotten where God is, can we just have a little wake up reminder in the room today? We've got to remember where the Lord is. This is number five. And where is he? He is high and lifted up. He is, he is on his throne today, which means that he is in control, which means that he has a plan, which means that he will win, that you and I will win no matter what we're facing today. God gives Habakkuk a bigger vision of who he is, a bigger vision of of where God is. And if God is on the throne, then he is still in control. I uh, never forget, it was Christmas Day several years ago. My son was, I think he was four, three or four. um, I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Um, But he was was running around. His his nickname was the tornado because he was in everything at that age. And some of you guys have kids like that. And so it was Christmas. We were at um, Micah's uh, parents' house, and we were doing the gifts and just hanging out, and he was running around doing stuff. And next thing I know, he comes into the living room, and he says, Dad, my throat is burning. And his little broken English, as only a four-year-old could say, and, and then his lips were swollen. And we were like, oh my gosh, there's, what, what's happening here? We immediately kind of figured out he's allergic to something and, and uh, we go in the kitchen and we look around and his little, you know, four year old arms he didn't know what he was getting into on the countertop but he found, you know, a, a dish that had some peanuts in it and he had taken them and he had, he had eaten some and he had, he had had this allergic reaction so here it is, Christmas day of all days and uh, we're jumping in the car and we're running to the hospital um, praise God for all those people that work on, in the hospital on Christmas day I mean, it has to stink for them but <clears throat> excuse me, but when you're when you're headed to the hospital with, with a, a a kid that's hurting, like you're you're thankful for that. And we get there, we go into the room and and uh, you know the doctor comes in and kind of assesses, okay, this is some kind of allergic reaction. It's not life-threatening, but we need to get some meds in him to, to kind of help him. And so we're gonna give him an IV and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pump him full of some, some Benadryl, I think it was, some meds, and, and that's gonna help relieve the irritation and all this kind of stuff, and he'll we think he's gonna be okay. And so in that moment, I mean, you know when you were a kid, you hated going to the doctor, and you hated any thought of needles or whatever because you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. Well, because it is, right? And so he's sitting there nervous, and, 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 and he continued to say, Daddy, are they going to hurt me? Daddy, is it going to hurt? Are they going to have to cut me? Daddy, is it going to hurt? No, son, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Well, the doctor comes in, and after he gives his assessment, He says, Uh, So we're going to do the IV. We're going to do this. And Bryson looks at the doctor and he says, is it going to hurt? And in that moment, as a dad, I'm thinking, please just lie to him. (laughs) Please just lie to him. (laughs) Let's just smooth this out. Please lie to him. Let's just see it. Because that's kind of our tendency as parents, right? It's like, yeah, it's going to be good. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll never forget. The doctor taught me a lot that day. He looked at Bryson in the eyes and he said, it is going to hurt, Bryson. And I was like crushed. Those tears welled up in his his eyes, and and, uh, he was nervous and and upset. The doctor leaves, and Bryson's words to me were, Daddy, please don't let him hurt me. Please don't let him hurt me. And the nurse comes in and gives the IV. The medicine kicks in, and and, uh, he slept for most of the day. It was a great Christmas. Uh, But I say all that because isn't it possible that someone who loves you would allow something painful to happen in your life if they understood that it was going to work out for your good, your spiritual health, your spiritual growth. And not just for him, but for me as a dad watching this as well. I've told this story before. So it's, it's not just that, okay, I'm, I'm upset that, you're hurting me, God, but what about the other person in my life that that you hurt? And I don't understand why you would hurt them, God. I I want I want to be on the hospital bed, not my son. Let me for him, right? Me for him. And and we wanna we wanna we wanna step in the gap and try to take other people's pain away. And God says, no, no, no. You're not gonna steal their joy. You're not gonna steal their growth. You're not gonna steal their blessing because what I don't understand is that God loves my mom way more than I loved her and God loves you in the situation that you find yourself in way more than you think you love that person and God's plan is way higher, way beyond my control, way out of my thoughts I don't understand it but I choose to walk by faith I'm going to trust yeah, I'm going to trust you. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that God's power and presence isn't at work, right? Just because we can't see it. If I were to say to you, look around, and uh, is there a giraffe in the room? Let me take a quick gander here. No jokes about me. And then, no, I don't see any giraffe, right? Okay, we can kind of look around and just quickly observe no giraffes. But what if I were to say to you, any lice in the room you might take a quick glance and say I don't think so (laughs) Um, but if there were could you really see them? like the the dude sitting next to you he might have a head full of lice right now as we speak it could be happening and by the way if you're scratching your head you're super obvious like you're a little (laughs) sketchy right now we're wondering no I mean I mean you can't see it but it it could it could be there Right? Just because I can or cannot observe something doesn't mean it's not there or that it's not working. Where is the Lord today? This is a fundamental question that you have to answer. Where is He? The scripture says that he is seated in his holy temple on his throne. And because God is on his throne today, I can trust and walk by faith because he is in control, that his promises will come to fruition. I can trust him that he has a bigger picture, a bigger vision, a bigger plan for my life. And no matter what pain and suffering I go through, I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. I trust his word can't see it. Sometimes I can't feel it, but I trust Him. I choose to walk by faith. I choose to trust Him. And so here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. It's not going to get easier. But you will get stronger. You say, Trent, needed a little bit more encouragement than that. <laughs> it's not going to get easier. Come on, man. It should be getting easier. I heard time heals everything. I just need a little bit of time and then it's going to... Time doesn't heal. Time happens and it kind of makes your memory foggy and so you don't remember it as much and so it feels like it's better, but it's not better. Time doesn't heal. Jesus heals. Walking by faith heals. Putting your faith into action heals. It's it's not going to get easier, but you're going to get stronger, and that's the point. That as you pursue Jesus, as you pursue the Word of God— as you listen for him, as you write down what he is teaching you, as you wait for him, as you live by faith, and as you remember where he is at, your faith becomes stronger. It doesn't get easier, but your faith becomes stronger. And it may feel easier, but it's just because you're a stronger person. Your faith is deeper in the Lord. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to allow your faith, go back to the text, go back to the verse. We go back to it at the very beginning here. Verse two, he says to write it down. So why? So may others who read it may run. Hmm. So as I deal with this and I get stronger, others see my life, others hear my journey, and they run. They run their own race. So now as I struggle with pain, I realize it's not just about me, it's it's about what my kids see in me and what one day my grandkids will see in me so that now my blessing flows to them and I don't pass on this worry, lack of faith, God isn't real, feeling. They see me growing, recognizing, sharing. No, God's there. He's on his throne, and he is good. He is good. Let's pray. I'm sure many of you from last week to this week might identify with the waiting room, and you might say, that is where I am at. I am am in the waiting room. There's an issue, there's something that's heavy on my heart. But as I hear last week, as I unpack it in small group, as you're talking today, Trent, here's what I'm taking to the bank. I am gonna walk by faith. I'm gonna walk by faith. And I just wonder, those in the room who would say, yeah, that's me today, just by a show of hands, just say, Trent, I'm, I'm choosing to walk by faith. Just lift it up, I'm choosing to walk by faith. Hands all over, God, I am gonna walk by faith, you are still God, you are in control. you are on your throne. You love me. You have a plan for me. You have a plan for every person in my life, God, and I'm just going to walk by faith. Some of you needed today. Some of you needed to be reminded that God is interested in the journey, not just the quick answers. And so we're going to walk by faith. Father, there are some in the room still hurting. And as they hurt today, God, I pray that you would give them faith. Help them to truthfully be able to sing this song that no matter what I face, it is well. It is well. I can sing that song only by faith. If I were honest, it's not well. But I'm going to sing it, and I'm going I'm to sing it in, in, into existence in my life because I know that it is well. And I, I, I'm going to surrender that to you today, God. It is well. It is well. It is well. I trust in you. I trust in you. Lord, help us to deepen our faith today and our roots. Hear our prayer. Hear our song. Draw us deeper into your presence today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.